personal brand is the most valuable business asset you could ever have. Nothing you could ever see on, on a spreadsheet matters anywhere close to as much as the stuff that you can't. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, hey, buddies. Welcome back to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. Today, I have a fun and enlightening conversation with you with one of my good friends, Jonathan Goodman, and my fiance, Giovanni, joins in for the conversation today. So John, a very good friend of mine, he's been friends with Giovanni for at least a decade. Uh, He is a certified strength and conditioning specialist, has a degree in kinesiology, and was a full-time personal trainer before transitioning to uh, more of an online space and teaching other trainers on how to be successful. He is the author of the book, Ignite the Fire. And since 2011, uh, he has helped over 100,000 health and fitness professionals regain their confidence by filling the education gaps in the industry. He sold over 250,000 products. Uh, John is legit. And what we talk about today might surprise you. So being in the training industry, you might think that this conversation is all about fitness. And there's certainly some fitness references here. But this is really more of a 30,000 foot view from the trees. So we talk about taking imperfect action. He talks about his story about writing the book and Uh, how at each step, like absolutely nothing was planned out, but he was able to fall forward fast, as they say, and not necessarily knowing exactly how to do the next step, but just making sure that he figured out what the next step was and then executed on it. We talk about the fear of failure, why it paralyzes so many of us with analysis paralysis and maybe why we don't want to figure it out, but we just want to embrace it and accept it. Um, We want to think about failure like our muscles. Nothing grows unless we push them to failure. And that's the analogy that I actually used with him. So hope you pick that out in our conversation. We talk about how to grow your business. So if you are a clinician that listens to the show uh, for some of your science, (laughs) some of the geeky magic, uh, you're going to get a lot of uh, training here from John. So we talk about the idea of gloriously unscalable. How many people can you talk to, like have a real human connection with, and how can that potentially impact your business if you're playing the long game? You know, if you want to be uh, a DC or an ND or an MD or whatever it is over the long term, how fostering those connections and trading in something other than money? You know, we t- I've, I've said this before where, you know, money is not the only currency that we trade in. Relationships are also a very important currency. So we talk about how to, um, 
how to cultivate relationships and how to, um, you know, potentially get clients and how to ask for the sale. We talk about sales training towards the end of our conversation. Uh, and John and I talk about some of our different, very similar, very aligned, but there's some nuance in how he looks at sales, uh, and, and what I had explained to them. Uh, you'll also, uh, hear us talk about wealth management and this idea of compounding interest and why Warren Buffett is the most successful investor of our time. And you'll be very surprised to hear some of those stats. All in all, this is a conversation about how to live your life, whether this is a personal development uh, endeavor or it is in your business. They are one and the same. You know, it's that like that old adage, how you do something is how you do everything. Um, so we also move into talking about um, why he's building out his personal brand. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. There were so many good nuggets uh, that I was actually taking notes on and will be implementing in my own business um, as I continue to level up, create connection and continue to grow. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with my good friend, Jonathan Goodman and my wonderful, beautiful, handsome, gorgeous fiance, Giovanni Marsico. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water, and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. All right. So, Jonathan Goodman and my fiance, Giovanni Marcico. Fiance. You've got to say that in as, as a crescendo. Fiance. Fiance. <laughs> Giovanni. Up. Welcome. Giovanni, fiance. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this podcast is already starting out awesome. Welcome you both to the show. Clearly to, I mean, Giovanni, of course, love of my life. Uh, and, and Jonathan, very good friend. We've been chatting for about 10 minutes and I was like, man, we got to get started. So welcome both of you to the show. Merci. To the show. Merci. <laughs> Merci. So um, my audience knows Giovanni. He uh, has been on the show before interviewed him for his, uh, dreamer, uh, movie, which ended up winning uh, several Emmys. And he did the, the trailer, uh, in, like interviewed me for the first, uh, ever, uh, episode, but you, my friend have never been on the show before. So I oh. would love for you to explain, uh, your elevator pitch, if you will, who you are and what you do. I was a personal trainer for eight years. At 24 years old, I, at 23 years old, I reached the point that a lot of trainers hit where I decided I needed to make a bit more and a bit less time with a bit better schedule. I was liking what I was doing, but I kept thinking, you know, is this what my life is going to be like? 
the long days. And it really, the catalytic point for me was playing ice hockey. It's this is the most gloriously Canadian story ever. I was playing ice hockey at night. I got tripped. I got slew footed for anybody who knows the term, pulled a hamstring, had to take two weeks off of the gym floor. And I was like, well, shit, like this is fun, obviously, when you're young. But um, if if straining a hamstring is going to take me off my feet for two weeks and I can't make money, I got to figure out something else. And uh, and this was back in the day when you still read books and went to the library. And so I went to the bookstore. I looked up all of the books on the shelf, the best-selling books for marketing and multiple streams of income and stuff like that. And I wrote down their names and I went, I walked across the street to the library and I checked out those books from the library and I started reading. And I, uh, and I eventually came across a book called by uh, somebody named Robert G. Allen called Multiple Streams of Income. And in that book, in one of the chapters, he writes about infopreneuring, which now seems obvious, right? Of course, you can sell your information on the internet and you can make money on it. Back in 2008, that shit was revolutionary. And so the advice in the book, yeah, there you go. So mine's a bit more tattered than that. But yeah, so you've got, for those of you that are listening on audio, Gio is holding up the book that he's talking about. He's holding about. up the yeah. book. That's amazing. Yeah. I haven't looked at the book in years. I'd be interested. But so there's a chapter in there on infopreneuring. And in that chapter, Gio, there's an image, and I'll never forget it. And it's a circle. And in, in the circle is meant to denote the center of the universe. And all around that is all of the different income streams that you can create. And the center of the universe is write a book. And so I knew nothing about writing a book, but I was like, yeah, I'll write a book. How easy is that? <laughs> Not <laughs> thinking much more of it. And, uh, and so the advice was write a book about something that you know about, and then you can derive all these income streams around it. You can do all this stuff once you have this book, right? So, uh, so I wrote a book for personal trainers. And um, I was, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any money. I didn't- Ignite I, Fire is the book that we're talking about. That book about. was called Ignite the Fire. And mm-hmm. it was written by um, every, everything that I did on the floor with my clients. I would make a note of what I did on the back of my clipboard. And then I would go and I would actually write down, you know, in a bit more, a bit more information, kind of what I did. And, uh, and then from there, self-publish the book. Well, how do you find an editor? Well, I don't even know what editors do, but I feel like editors are involved in books. Okay. Well, I know where books are. So I imagine editors are involved in books. So I went to the bookstore again. I found the best-selling fitness books. I wrote down their names. I emailed their, uh, the, the authors of them. And I asked them to be introduced to their editor. And Brad Schoenfeld introduced me to Kelly James Anger, who edited the book for $7,500. And then I'd self-publish it. And I Googled it. And every step of the way, the reason that I tell the story like this is every step of the way, I just figured out the next step. I had no idea what I was doing. I was so optimistically ignorant about the entire process start to finish, mm-hmm. right? But everything was just like, okay, well, what do I have to do next? Well, I have to get the book published. Okay, well, I have to get it printed. Well, okay, well, how do you do these things? And I feel like these days we know way too much about stuff. Yeah. And it kind of stops us from doing it. And, um, and that's, that's a big problem. And so my story is defined by, I knew very little about what I was doing. And I was just figuring out the next step, every single step of the way. And so from there, yada, 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 I put out the book, I self-published the book, uh, started a website to promote the book. The website's now reached 20 million, 25 million, something like that, uh, visitors for personal trainers. And, uh, and I've written 10 more books, put on a bunch of conferences and done a bunch of other stuff. I have a question because the, and this is, I love how you think. And I think even going right back to the beginning, you wrote the book and then you're like, well, I need to get this published. Why don't I go and see who already published a book in this industry and just reach out to them. It, but there's that just reach out part that paralyzes people. 
Cause they're like, well, how, what do I say? I don't know what to say. I'm shy. I don't want to, or what, whatever comes up in their head. How did, uh, and it, to me, it's these little things that make the biggest difference. The, like we have a mutual, we all have a mutual friend, Jillian Mandich, who uh, has no zero limiting belief, zero internal voice. If she needs to do a thing, she just does. Like if she needs to call someone, if she needs to call the president of the United States, somehow she'll find a way to call the guy. Um, but it's that taking action on the next step. What, what gives you the, and it might be courage or I don't know what the word is, but what is it that allows you just to do that step without worrying about it? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I don't worry about it, but you mentioned the word courage. I think courage is a fascinating concept because nobody's born with courage. Courage forms when you try stuff and courage forms when stuff doesn't go your way. Because when stuff doesn't go your way, you realize that it's actually not that big of a deal. It's like getting stung by a bee. Everybody's getting scared to get stung by a bee until they get stung by a bee. And they're like, well, that shit wasn't so bad. <laughs> and then they're not so scared of bees anymore. Well, it courage is kind of the same thing. I mean, I have tried so many things over the years that now it's just like, well, what's the worst common? I, I, you know, I messaged somebody who I know loosely the other day, for example, million plus Instagram followers. I was like, hey, you want to do this collab on Instagram? I've got like 40,000 followers, right? We're getting on the phone after this. Talk, talk about it. He's somebody who I know. He's somebody who I you know, have some respect with. I wouldn't call him a friend. I'm sure he wouldn't refer me to his friend. We haven't spoken for a few years, but I was like, hey, I created this out of material you've already built. I sent it to him, finished. It's a really great piece of content. And I just said, like, what's, what's going to happen? He's like, nah, man, I don't do that. I do. Thanks. Or he doesn't respond. Right. And then I follow up once and then he doesn't respond again. And that's fine. But like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, it's like, it's a long shot just because, you know, in that world, he's a bigger deal than I am, but he'll say no. So what? I'll go on to my day, go home to my kid, I'll go home to my wife and nothing will be changed. And so I, I think I'm fascinated by courage. I'm fascinated by fear. I mean, Gio, I think you and I have spoken about this quite a bit because nothing happens until you try something. And no matter how much you plan, this goes back to my story about optimistic ignorance that I kind of opened with, right? Where you really have no idea what's going to happen. You really have no idea how the world works. None of us do. We're all ignorant in how it works. The only way that you can really begin to build some understanding is just to try stuff and put it out into the world and see what kind of feedback comes back. But these days, it's considered weird to not what I think is overplan, over-research. And so what is, this is the question that I always ask is, at what point do you know too much about something? where knowing more about that thing is actually going to be a net negative, right? It's going to give you all of these reasons to not do it. It's going to give you all these reasons to think, oh, I just need to know one more thing to do it. Well, I guarantee you that no matter how much information you get, whenever you're starting a project that might be scary, you reach out to somebody who makes you, it's not going to work out the way that you planned. But if you do the thing, it's probably going to work out in a way that you could have never anticipated if you never actually did it. And, and I think the people who have just done the really, really scary shit and like tried something, put something out into the world, they realize that over time. And then you build courage slowly, time and time again. You know, you, you, you try stuff, you build a bit of courage. It's not like anybody's like innately born with it. Maybe Jillian was, I don't know. But. 
I certainly and wasn't. Jillian is very much a, a unique uh, individual and shout out to, to Jillian. If she listens to the pod, this will be her little Easter egg here. I want to, I want to double click a little bit on that failure piece, because I think, um, and I was saying to you in the pre-chat, one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you is a lot of the content that we put out in the podcast is very much uh, specific. Like we talk about thyroid, we talk about sex hormones, we talk about, you know, uh, and, you know, respiration, cellular respiration. And I think the part of the, the um, area that I'd like to move into more and have more interesting discussions with is this idea around business growth, business acumen. But part of that, of course, is the is the mindset that's required. And so many, you know, I, um, my, list, my listeners will know, I was telling you uh, before we started, we popped on here that I train healthcare practitioners and so many of them, even when we do sort of free events, we bring people together. They're so scared of starting something new. They're so scared of being a beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, do, they want to just start at the finish line. Like if they are going to invest any time, any focus, any energy, any money, they want to make sure that they can guarantee some sort of ROI. And one of the, one of the things that I will coach a lot of my, you know, a lot of my healthcare practitioners on is this idea of imperfect action. And even in the, even in the certification program that I've started, the first iteration of it now is, is very like the first iteration is already different. And this is my fifth iteration of the certification different already, because I keep improving. I keep getting that, you know, constructive criticism and feedback from my uh, from my ladies. And then we just, we just make it better. And, you know, being in the fitness industry, of course, I'll throw a little sort of fitness analogy. Like the only way that muscles grow is when we push them to failure, right? Mm -hmm. The only way that you're ever going to get hypertrophy, the only way you're ever going to build strength or power or output is training either sub like you just right under failure or to it. So I, I, I wondered if you could speak a little bit more about you know, when you speak to coaches or when you speak to personal trainers, or if you were speaking directly to my group, what might you say around, um, embracing, and maybe that might be the word, maybe not, but embracing failure (laughs) as, as a, as a strategy. Sure. I mean, I'll give a, I'll give a damaging admission, which is that nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody's figuring it out, no matter how much social media might lead you to believe otherwise. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I was putting out my first book, I've self-published everything that I've done, right? So when I was putting out my first book was uh, um, a friend of mine sent me an email. You know, I sent out a whole bunch of sample copies and stuff like that. And a friend of mine sent me an email and goes, yeah, this book is, is, is really good. He goes, congratulations. He says, if it wasn't for you, those pages would be empty. First of all, I thought that that was a really cool thing to say. You know, if it wasn't for you, nothing would have happened. I just think it's a really neat way to, to congratulate. You're not necessarily saying it's good, right? You're just like, no, you did the thing. Like, holy shit. Like, let's celebrate. Let's catch people in the act of doing something good, right? <clears throat> but then he said, you know, this is really good. But you're going to look back on this and you're going to be embarrassed by it. And just never forget that no matter what, there's a reason that somebody invented the version 2.0. And I've never forgotten that lesson. There's a reason that there's a version 2.0. There's a reason that there's version 3.0. And I mean, I've been in online fitness, call it, for 10 years, right? I've put out 11 books, five conferences, a certification program, a textbook. I mean, five, four digital programs. 
And still, whenever I put out anything new, I do a very, very low cost, no design, no editing beta group. Always. Yes. yes. Always. It just, I mean, I'll put it out to 30 people. I was going to come out with a time management course on mental models, on strategies, on rules for, for living and stuff like that. And, um, and we did it through Telegram. I shot the videos from my computer with a microphone. And, uh, and one of my teammates literally developed or, or delivered it through Telegram every day, sent a different lesson to the, to the 30 people in the beta group who signed up for it. And then we took in feedback. And we decided that. not to go ahead yeah. with the program. Mm -hmm. yeah, we, we do a, we do a google doc it. yeah we have this we have a similar like we send people to a google doc there's no website you can't find anything yeah. about it unless you're you're emailing us that's great mm -hmm. so like even if you admire i mean a lot of your listeners i'm sure admire you and admire all the things that you've accomplished like you're still sitting here and you're like i don't really know what this thing's going to turn into Right. You can't until you get feedback on it. So that's the damage admission, like figure out a way to get it in front of somebody. The best way that I teach fitness trainers to, to build stuff. And this is a little bit of Seth Godin who I don't, I, Gio, you don't like Seth Godin. I don't think, right? <laughs> this is a little bit of Seth Godin's like he's permission right. marketing. Yeah, he's all right. This is a little bit of his permission marketing is it's, it's very, very hard to go to a group of people or go to somebody and say, hey, I have this thing. I think you might want it. Would you like to hear more about it so you can maybe buy it? It's a very hard sell to get somebody on the phone. But if you, if you call somebody up on the phone, that exact same person and say, I'm thinking of developing this thing. Do you mind if I ask you some questions about you to help me build this thing? You'll get that person on the phone. At the end of it, you say, hey, you know, once I have a prototype or once I have a first version, do you mind if I could just like get your feedback on it? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, cool. Well, now you're going to be able to get on the phone with that person again, the second time and go over the program with it and get their feedback on it. And then at the end of that phone call, you said, Hey, and I'm going to put together a beta group. It's going to be, you know, 25% less than I'll charge full time and we'll test drive it. And I'm going to get a bunch of uh, feedback and testimonials. You know, do you know anybody who might be interested in being a part of this beta program. Well, that person is probably going to say me for no <laughs> other reason than they literally built their perfect program with you. But even if they don't, there's a good chance that they'll now be in your corner, right? Because they have some ownership in this thing. They help build this thing. And so don't build in isolation. If you know who you're building something for, like we're coming out with software. I got on the phone with 50 people from our audience. I just asked them questions about what they wanted. And then once we have the prototype, which will be next week, we'll get on the phone with them again and show them the prototype. Like if you know who you're building your thing for, get on the phone with them and ask them about them. Well, now you have all of these people who are coming along for the journey with you. And you're building the perfect, perfect program for them. And then you do another basically follow-up call with them where you're effectively walking through getting some more feedback on the thing and it could be a google doc right you could just be talking to them about what you want to build um and then invite them i, I call it fountain client but invite them into your like beta group whatever you want to call it um it's way easier than trying to sell something when it's ready yeah it reminds me of um 
one of our friends calls the, uh, a mutual friend of uh, Giovanni and mine, his name is Simon. He calls these his sandbox clients. So it's like, we know that we're always going to be playing in the sandbox with you. It's, you know, we might, you know, like for your beta group, let's say might be always a little discounted whenever there's a new prototype or a new product, I'm going to run it through these people that I trust to give me, you know, honest feedback so that I can refine it. And it's like, we're playing in the sandbox. There's no, you know, it's like we're uh, coming together and building uh, building something, um, building something together. Yeah, that's exactly it. It makes such a massive difference because all of these people are going to have some ownership over the thing, right? Everybody wants to be involved in, in building something great. Everybody wants to say, Oh, I knew of that indie band before they were big. Once the indie band becomes big, nobody cares anymore. Nobody wants to feel like they were a part of discovering something. Me too. Like this is just kind of human nature. And, uh, <laughs> and so allow people to have that. I mean, even if you don't know anybody who's in your like target market, well, go and find them. <laughs> like, holy shit. People are like, oh, I don't know. Well, you're telling me that your target market is 30 to 40 year old new mums who have I mean, I'm in the fitness industry who want to lose no more than five to 10 pounds and have more energy with their kids or whatever, right? Yeah. Whatever you, you, you say that your thing is, but I don't know anybody like that. Well, first of all, how the heck is that your target mug? You don't know anybody <laughs> like that. Like, clearly you're not going to be able to talk to them. This, but even if like, go find them, like they're not hard to find. Yeah, ask around, knock on doors. This is why I, whenever I talk to people these days, I've, I've written a fair bit about it. Like just how gloriously inefficient most people are when they use social media. I mean, in the, in the fitness industry, everybody's trying to build their business by creating content. It's like you need 20 to 30 clients, like 30 clients paying you $200 a month is $72,000 a year. You need 30 customers. Why in the world are you creating and stressing about creating content on Instagram? You need 30 customers. Go call up a whole bunch of people and talk to them in real life. The amount of conversations that I've had with folks over the last five years, they all go the same way. Hey, I'm really having trouble getting clients. And, you know, I just, just can't get anybody interested in my services. I'm doing all these funnels and I'm funneling everybody everywhere. And I'm creating content every single day. And I feel like my niche is wrong. And how can I do Instagram reels better? And whoa, 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 whoa. How many people have you spoken to today? I think, I think the problem is that I'm not using the right filters and, and maybe I'm just not targeting people right. And I don't have my message. Have you spoken to a single person today? Well, no, like maybe you should actually have a real conversation with a real human being. Didn't your, didn't your wife have something like this where she was trying to uh, and I might've just seen this on Instagram, so I might be messing the story up, but she tried to, she was trying to do a fundraiser or something, posted something on Instagram, yeah. no followers, and then called people up. And then she had more than enough for, for the yeah. initiative she was trying to do. I'll tell, I'll tell you the story. It, it's good that you, cause I wouldn't have brought that up. I wouldn't have thought about this. It's good that you brought this up. So we, we spent our winters, uh, we spent the last four winters in a little town in Mexico called Sayulita. And there's a women's shelter there. 
that my wife and my mother-in-law comes with us as well has now actually bought a place there, which is fantastic for me. <laughs> and, uh, and so they, they really, you know, love this women's shelter, this initiative. And, and basically there's a van that, that, um, helps take women out of battered abusive relationships and, and protects them and does all these great things for the women. So my wife wants to raise money for them and she's, she's really crafty. She loves making custom jewelry and stuff like that. She actually is making all this stuff now, but she, they needed to raise $10,000 to buy a van for this initiative to be able to basically bring more women out of these bad situations. So they needed 10,000 bucks. Right. And so my wife said, you know, anybody who wants it, I'm going to make custom jewelry. And she showed these examples and they're beautiful necklaces, bracelets, things like that. And uh, she has, you know, 2000 followers on Instagram. I mean, not huge, but like more than big enough. Right. And, and lots of people respect her and like her and, and stuff. So anyway, so she posted on her Facebook. She wrote this whole long story, this whole thing about how meaningful this was and whatever and how it, it you know, pay what you want for this jewelry or make you something custom. Uh, this is what we're raising money for. Not a single person responded. She posted again. She took better pictures. She used different filters. <laughs> better pictures, better lighting. Maybe, maybe the, the, the jewelry that I showed wasn't appealing, right? Not a single person bought. Then she sent 10 emails to 10 people that she knew that might be interested. And it was, pretty much copy and paste, but it was personal. Eight out of 10 have now bought jewelry. One of them said 500 bucks. That's the difference. I mean, it's amazing. And it's like, it's, if, if you don't want it, you don't want it. I mean, this is like, Hey, I'll make you a pair of custom earrings, like 20 bucks. Like who's going to say no to that? Think about, think about your own reactions to things. I mean, we donate money every month to, I don't know, a couple of the hospitals locally and stuff like that. And it's because somebody came and knocked on our door once. Literally. Would have never responded in a million years to anything they ever did online, to any ad, nothing. Exact same organization. We have no particular tight affinity to the organization. But it's because somebody came and they were like, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation with you about this. And we did. And now every month, we're donating to that cause, to that charity. I feel like there's a, a meta lesson here around fundamentals and simplicity. Yes. Like even with, with I'm sure you see it in your world, um, what it actually takes to build muscle isn't, and, and what's being touted that it takes on social media is very different than what I think it actually takes. Oh, dude, which, there's people on Instagram I'm like, why are you doing that? <laughs> like, why are you doing an ab rollout on a barbell? Or why are you running on a treadmill with four resistant bands around someone else? Like you're going to face plant and break your face. That's not how you, well, I mean, anyway, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> there's people who have fallen off cliffs trying to get good videos for IG, right? Like yeah. there's, there's yeah. dumb shit out there. Uh, uh, yes. Go on, Jim. <laughs> Let's get well, into this. Uh, <laughs> Because it's, it's, there are in any, in any endeavor, there's always fundamentals. Those are the basics. And I think we want to skip through them or shortcut them or have a, an ulterior motive that's more sexy in, in any context. Um, but when it comes to, let's say business building, 
we, we forget these things. And when it comes to business building, muscle building, anything building. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the psychology of fitness and I'm fascinated by the psychology of wealth generation. Yeah. Because they're basically the exact same things. And so many people in the fitness and health industries struggle so much with generating wealth. And yet they get so frustrated with their clients that their clients are not following these principles. How, of course, it's, you know, neat, it's small daily activities. It's playing the long game. It's the, right? It's like, well, that's the exact same thing that you're not doing over here that you're frustrated right. by, right? Compound interest is everything. Compound interest is everything with your body too. I mean, it's the same thing. And so I guess that, I mean, I don't have a distinct explanation for it other than it's kind of human nature to want to do more of stuff that we're already good at and run away from things we either don't understand or are more difficult. But it's often those things are the most important thing to do. Um, but that's where mentors, friends, communities really come in handy. I mean, you talk about um, cryptocurrency now, and I bought a bunch of Bitcoin last year. Well, I had the USB keys and money set aside in 2016 to buy this stuff. And I never did. And I resold the ledger things that I was going to put it on because I literally, I just never got around to it. And then one guy who basically like, you know, somebody who I reached out to just took me and was like, all right, man, yeah, let me, let me introduce you to this stuff. And I'm not, I mean, I, you know, beyond Bitcoin, I'm not interested in anything else going on in that world because again, it's, this is, this is my own personal philosophies towards it. And, and, and fitness and money is the, is the same thing for me, which is, you know, I can afford to not get filthy rich, but I can't afford to get taken out of the game. And so with fitness, that's my approach, right? I can afford to not be super shredded, but I can't afford to be in bad shape. I also can't afford to get hurt. I also am not willing to do the extreme dieting that you would need to do to look somewhere. And so in, in understanding all of those things, well, I now know who to listen to and what to do and what not to do. And I also don't envy certain bodies. I think they're impressive, but I don't envy them in the way that I otherwise might from a comparison standpoint, because I know what it would take to get there, right? I know that I would have to be much more extreme with my diet. I know that I would have to be much more extreme with my training, which could lead to injury, which would certainly lead to a diminished social life and, and, and romantic life. And, um, and with, with investing, it's the exact same thing, right? I don't, I, I just, I don't even listen to, the, the, the shock and awe stuff. Cause it's just not, I know what it would take to take the risks to potentially, you know, buy something at the bottom and sell it at the top, 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 top. I know the amount of time and research it would take to do that. And I also know that most of it is luck anyway. 
and I can afford to miss out on that stuff, which means that I don't get envious when I hear somebody else, you know, that's made millions of dollars, like, oh, you know, buddy made a million dollars on Dogecoin. It's like, yeah, well, actually, if you think about it, he made a really fucking stupid decision. Now it worked out for him, but it was a really stupid decision. And I think people underplay just how much luck is involved in the world that we live in when they're taking advice from others. And that same guy, by the way, now is basically bankrupt, but you don't hear about him. You only heard about him when he made a million bucks. You don't hear about him now because he didn't make a good decision. He hit the jackpot once. And so I don't remember how we got into this conversation or what, what I was answering, but I, I just think, I think the parallels are really valuable in understanding. Okay. Well, like what game are you playing? Who do you listen to? Who do you compare yourself to? What do you envy? Can you put that into perspective and build your personal operating philosophy around that? Because there's, there's always going to be stuff you can do. And it doesn't mean that I think somebody's stupid, like somebody day trading NFTs or flipping, you know, meme stocks or somebody who's bodybuilding and standing on stage, you know, in a bathing suit and looking all shredded. I don't think anything less of them. I don't think they're stupid. I don't think, you know, I don't think they're just playing a different game than me. Right. I can, I cannot listen to somebody and still respect them and think that they're intelligent. As long as I know that what they do is not for me. This is where I think um, playing the long game and surrendering to monotony. And, you know, I, I talk about this on the show a lot. Like there's sexiness in the slowness. Like everyone wants to talk about the guy that made a million bucks from ETH or whatever you said, Doge or whatever it was. And um, no one wants to talk about the time that it took you know, all that, all the time that he allocated, all the resources that he allocated and, you know, currency is not the only, uh, you know, well, I'll say money is not, I'll say it a different way. Money is not the only currency that we trade in. Right. So you make a million bucks, but what did you lose? What was the Mm -hmm. downside of that? And I think this is true as well for, um, when we think about some of the hallmarks of a good coach, right. We want to clearly, we want to clearly explain to our clients what is it if you want to if you want to attain the bikini body that steps on the stage like i've done figure competing i know what that's right. like i don't yep. want to do that ever again yep. um but you that's all you see on instagram right you see the pardon my french here but like the tna and you see like you know people doing glute workouts that's like that's not how you build a glute that's not how you activate your glutes mm-hmm. it just you're just basically sticking your butt in the camera for people to like you know to like it or whatever sure and well, i and, think I that there's sacrifice from, yeah yeah Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that you need to really clearly explain sacrifice. What is going, if you want to lose this weight, you want to build this muscle, this is the dedication. And then these are some of the other areas of your life um, that are going to have less time. Yeah. Those are, those are, I loved some of the phrases that you used there um, too. You, you, you really got them nailed down. Those, those, those was great. So yes, I agree. And I'm, I'm going to add to it in that you see such a, <clears throat> you see such a tiny snippet of it in our, in our quick hit world and people we admire, we never know the whole story. 
So let me tell you the whole story with Warren Buffett. So Warren, everybody knows Warren Buffett, you know, greatest investor of all time, right? Well, that's actually not true. Um, basically, the only reason that Buffett is as rich as he is right now is because he started investing when he was 10 and he never stopped. That's literally it. So uh, like, like some stats are insane. If he, um, if he started investing in his 30s with $25,000 and had the same annualized return, he'd, had a, he'd only have $11.9 million by the time he was 60. Out of his $84.5 billion, 84.1 was earned after he turned 65 years old. Wow. The only reason. And so at any point in time, there were people who had better returns than him. The difference is they did what most people did, which is, yeah, I made a lot of money. I'm going to buy this yacht and I'm going <laughs> to screw off and live my life. Right. Whereas he basically lives in a small house, drives an old car and just has like not moved his money for 70 years. I mean, that's literally like, so you think about, you know, even these people who we admire that of all these great things, there's always more to it in, in that story from the investing. Um, the more to it is, well, yeah, I mean, obviously he's done well, like obviously he's invested smartly, but the real reason that we hear about him is because what he did that was so remarkable was he basically just left it there for 70 years and didn't think about it and didn't touch it. Right. You don't hear about that, do you? When, when we admire, talk about bodies, well, what you don't see are any of a number of things. The impact that genetics has on physique is massive. Massive. Down to how long or short are your tendon insertions on your biceps? I mean, aside from things like natural testosterone secretion, aside from potential pharmaceutical interventions that people don't you know, talk about. And, and then you don't see the boring stuff because it's boring. You don't see that the guy who's, you know, shredded on Instagram, you don't see that he skipped all of the high school parties and went and jogged around the track or went and lifted weights when he was 16 years old. And now he's 25 and he's been in the gym repeating the same eight basic movements, basically ad nauseum. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't, you don't see that it's uh, working out is same shit, different shirt. <laughs> it's it's boring. You don't. If I, uh, why it's monolithic. Don't I put my, it's monolithic. It doesn't no, change. It's the same. Why don't I yes. put my training on Instagram? It's because would you really want to see me? You know, doing the same lunge every single day in a different shirt? No. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. It's not exciting. And so you see this tiny snippet, and you see this. You see this sound bite all the time. And there's always just so so much more behind the scenes um, in every respect. You know, I talked to you about the, the investing, but also fiscality as well. Um, 
I think it's just important to keep that in mind. And again, what game are you playing? What's your personal philosophy towards how you want to play this game? Um, that helps you figure out who to listen to, who not to listen to, what actions to take, and how to make sure, and this is, I think, the most important thing, how to make sure that you don't get beaten down with the FOMO of thinking you should be doing something else because you should have what they have or you should look the way that he looks or whatever. It's really, really hard these days to get away from that. Really hard these days to get away from that. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. We were talking before um, we started recording about how you have basically downsized your company and you have a huge focus right now on your personal brand. And I've been watching and learning from your Instagram account. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> uh, I would love for you to talk a little bit about why you are investing um, in that direction. Why is that important to you now? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a little bit of the story, you know, I never desired any of anything that I did. Wasn't like, I mean, growing up, I'm going to age myself. I don't know if this is true or not, but when I was finished, I finished university in 2007. I started an online business, call it in 2010, 2011. It wasn't cool then. Like I started a blog. I literally did not know what the word blog meant. I what started, does it mean? Do you know what it means? I, I do actually. What, what does um, it mean? Funny enough, um, the I, I've read books on this now. <laughs> it was originally web log, and the inventor of the web log capitalized W and L on purpose because he thought the word blog was so stupid, and so he never wanted anybody to pronounce it that way. So he actually wrote it. The official word is weblog, capital W-E-B, capital L-O-G, because he hated the fact that he hated blog. Uh, it was the same thing with, with traveling and living abroad. I mean, you know, I've spent four to six months out of the country the past nine years. Well, like when I started that, like parents didn't brag to their friends that their son was a digital nomad and figured out this way to, I mean, it was just like, how does your kid make money? Oh, they'll figure it out one day. Like that was the conversation, right? And, um, and so I never, I never desired any of it, but one thing turned to the next, turned to the next, turned to the next. And I kind of, I kind of figured it as I went and, and built a, built a, you know, small to medium sized company um, with a lot of staff. And a lot of it looking back now was ego driven. Every event. I mean, you guys have been to a bunch of these events. You go to these 
invite not not like the archangels is actually unique in that it's not quite like this because of the type of people that you all attract but some of these other communities that both of us have been in over the years the first question anybody asks you when you walk up is how many people work for you it's all this bullshit chest bumping i'm trying to figure out whether i'm more important than you (laughs) type conversation but it's really hard to not get drawn in by that and so it's the same type of thing. If you ask a guy how many people he's had sex with, you just divide the, you divide whatever the guy says by three is the actual number of how many people work with him, right? And so, so you get drawn in by this. So I started, you know, oh, I need to, in order to be respected, in order to be a business, but I need these people to work for me. I, I started to take pride in hiring away these like impact people, you know, VPs from, from the big fitness companies. Or, I mean, at one point in time, I had the, the editor-in-chief, the senior copy editor, the fitness editor, and the, and the books editor from Rodale Publishing on my staff, which is Men's Health, Women's Health Prevention. Right? All four of them. Because their company fire sold. And I basically went to Allentown, Pennsylvania and just shook all their hands and <laughs> hired them all. And so it was stupid looking back. Um, but I feel like I needed to get that out of my system as like a business person. I needed to do what I felt like I was supposed to do in order to um, try it, see how it was. And, uh, and, and what I've discovered after all of that is um, at the end of the day, personal brand is the most valuable business asset you could ever have. No consultant with a spreadsheet that's going to talk to you about the best keywords to target with Google ads has can shake any kind of a stick to somebody who's got a strong personal brand where people aren't even going to read a sales page. It just, there's just, there's no comparison. And that's the long game. That's that's, the long game. That's another, you know, kind of coming back to what we were talking about before. This is playing the long game. This is sort of this analog versus, you know, automated, uh, philosophy. Yeah. You can't, on. you can't ever, it, it, nothing you could ever see on, on a spreadsheet matters anywhere close to as much as the stuff that you can't. The, the difference is that what you can see on a spreadsheet is what you can see. And so it's really easy to build a consultancy. It's really easy to convince yourself that it matters much more than it does. And so I started to think long and hard, you know, we, we had our COVID moment last year, basically. I, I, sell, I sell the only certification and the only textbook that exists for online fitness. So when COVID first hit in March of 2020, when it first hit in earnest, um, when things started shutting down, I shouldn't say when it first hit, when things started shutting down of March of 2020, our business exploded because we had the only supply and demand artificially rose. Well, all of a sudden then, I mean, everybody with a thousand Instagram followers started to become an online fitness business expert. And so supply started growing, which was fine when demand was artificially high. Then when the world started to open back up in May of this year, April, May of this year, give or take, um, demand went back down to its regular levels, right? But supply was still artificially high and our sales basically fell off a cliff. And because we're, we're, we were fiscally responsible, we knew our numbers really well. Um, and, and a lot of our money was made on payment plans. I mean, I could tell you exactly when our, when our revenue was going to fall off a cliff, like, like September, December, and then January gone. And so, um, so it forced me to really, it gave me some time to reevaluate. And I took a look at it and I was just like, 
God damn, we're spending time on the stuff that doesn't matter because we're spending stuff. We're spending time on the stuff that is democratized. You know, anybody can run Facebook ads these days about just as good as anybody else. It's just, it's just become so easy to run. Anybody can get data on their website conversions and improve their conversions on their website about as good as anybody else these days. It's really very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to set yourself apart there. But it's easy to spend a lot of time there because that's what you can get. That's what you can measure. Well, creativity in business, a strong personal brand at the front of a business, to me, well, those are the, those are the real competitive advantages. So I said, okay, well, we got half a million bucks. We can spend that on Facebook ads, sending the same shitty ebook to the same custom audience on Facebook that we pixel, trying to convert them to an email list that will then nurture and convert into buying our program over time. And then we target them with more ads. Or I can take that half a million dollars and I can build software for our industry that is better than anything that exists and give it away 100% for free to anybody who wants to use it. Okay, well, this seems interesting because all of the software companies that exist, exist as software SaaS companies, meaning that they need to charge 50 to 100 bucks minimum per user because they're SaaS companies. Well, we can beat them because we can give away our software for free because we're going to make money on our education and on other programs in the back end. And then the bet that I'm making, which talked to me in two or three years, whether it's going to work out is what's my, what's my cost per impression for that half a million bucks, let's say. And this is just where I say creativity, you know, when you, when you start to think creatively and, and it, it becomes much more interesting. Well, if I'm, I'm going to pay 50 bucks a lead, 60 bucks a lead in my industry right now. Well, people are going to come to me for free and they're going to log into my software every day, multiple times a day. And then when they're in there, we're going to have given them a gift, which is going to make them love us because we're giving them something that they would be paying for otherwise. And it's going to be better than what they'd be paying for. And at the same time, we're going to say, hey, by the way, if you need mentorship, we can help you with that. So what's my cost per thousand impressions now? Using this, the same dollar amount. It's, it, it becomes a pretty interesting question. Um, so spending a lot of time on that. And then the personal brand is the same thing. I mean, people like people. People want to buy from people. Right. I want to show who I am as a human and my values where the rest of my industry is like, here's how you can get rich. Here's how you can make seven figures. I'm like, yeah, I just want to be with my family a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe it's not a profit maximization exercise. Let's talk how about you, that a little bit. How, how do you decide? So you, you make the decision. And by the way, I love all this. And you and I can geek out on strategy and philosophy forever. So you've decided that this is the approach uh, you're going to use software as almost like it becomes. Um, it's a lead, lead generator, lead, lead magnet it's a lead generator. 100%. for your education. 
Uh, and then you decide personal brand is what I need to start focusing heavily on. And I believe you're starting with or you started with Instagram. Yeah. How do you figure out what works on Instagram? Like, I know you probably do a lot of experimentation yourself, but you've, yeah. like, what have, in terms of, of growth on that channel, what, when did you start and what was the growth so far? And what did you, what do you think were the right things you did that allowed that growth to happen? Right. Yeah. I tried out a bunch of different types of content. I think it, it I think what made the biggest difference. So I started, I had like 21,000 followers on it when I started, but it was basically a dead account. I mean, I, I hardly posted on it. And I mean, if there was 50 people who liked to post then great. Um, and now two and a half months later, I think it's at 40, 41,000 or something like that. Um, and we'll get anywhere from one to three to 4,000, you know, likes on a post hundreds of thousands of shares on them. Um, on that account, I, it, I think what made the biggest difference was understanding where I'm adding the growth. I basically look at it as a, as a three phase plan at the beginning, most of the content was uh, very much unbranded. So I used, I used the tweet post format. Um, and it's because nobody wants to, like, everybody's like, oh, you know, nobody's showing my material. It's like, yeah, because there's a big picture of your stupid face on it. Like, would you show somebody else's face or somebody else's big logo? No. So if you, if your goal is to have something spread, it needs to be largely unbranded. Right. And so I use a, I use a, a tweet post and, and anybody wants to go see it's, it's at it's coach Goodman. You can see just the formatting. You see, literally I've matched my Twitter and Instagram to be the same name in the same picture. And I just posted on Twitter and screenshot it and post it on Instagram. I mean, that's, that's the, there's no designer. That's the extent of what I do. Right. And, um, and so, so yeah, so I, I, you know, I started with those. And I would basically test a message on Twitter, see if it gets a little bit of a response. If it does, I would expand on that on Instagram. So I would take the time to write the caption for it for Instagram because that's more work. And then I would usually, okay, well, there's something about this message or this idea that's resonated. Cool. I'm going to try writing this a few different ways, see if I can really hit it. And then the ones that really hit, I did a video. That was obviously more expensive and, and more of an investment. Basically, every I would just trade up the chain with the same pieces of content, the most successful pieces of content. I would just invest more into, basically, as I want. Um, what, what we also do, though, is I really, really know um, the types of people that I want in my community. So it's not just numbers. I mean, I could get more people following the page, but I know that I want professionals in the fitness and health industries or people thinking of entering the fitness and health industries who are very serious about what they do, who are going to be here for a long time. Those are the people I want in the account. And so we'll create messages that I know resonate with them, more serious people. And then we'll go into anybody who shared the message because you can look at like story shows and stuff like that. So we'll go into anybody who shared the message one by one. So I have two staff members who help me with this because there might be a thousand shares on something. We'll go in one by one and we'll look at the account of the person who shares it. Often they're not following us. You know, they'll see the message from someone or share it. And if they're the type of person who's right for our community, we'll reach out to them and we'll build a connection with them. At the same time, what we have is we've got a long list. We call it a dream connections list of basically different accounts that are right for us 
Some of them are big. Some of them are not as big. But, but people who we've just come across where we don't have any connection, but we're going to build connection with them one by one by one. So I'll go in and I'll comment on their stuff. Maybe I'll start sharing their work. Then we'll start a conversation with them. Then maybe I'll do a collaboration with them. Now you're following back and forth. And so step two is to start building connections fairly strategically, one by one by one. Think about if every single day you build a connection with five people of your, in your dream connections for your community. At the end of the day, it's what, 17, 1800 people. This That's, is what I think you talk about as like gloriously unscalable. This is like not a get rich quick. But it is, but it is scalable, right? I think the most scalable thing you can do in business today is the unscalable bits, yeah. is this type of stuff. Right. Because then what I'll do in four to six months, I'm going to start my own podcast. It'll be the Jonathan Goodman show. Well, what do you think the first thing I'm going to do is? All these dream connections are all going to be guests on the podcast who I've been building a relationship with for the last six months. Well, then things start to explode. Right? Because now, instead of looking for guests, I can just, I already have a list. I've already got connections with them. I can bring them all on. And now everything's just start. It's like a big stone wheel. I mean, it takes some time to start pushing it, but if you do it the right way, and you start building this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's again, it's compound interest. It's stuff bubbling under the surface. Mm-hmm. Once you hit that inflection point, it starts moving fast. But it's, it's unscalable. It's one by one. It's behind the scenes. Nobody sees it. Most of what I'm doing right now, I mean, I'm three months in. Most of what I'm doing, nobody has any clue what I'm doing. But in a year, they're going to be like, where the hell did you come from? Like, I've been doing this shit for a year where you've been focusing on optimizing your goddamn Facebook ads that nobody cares about. That's the difference. Your investment is and has always been in relationship deepening. And you Sounds do very it- sexual. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you treat your platform as community. Or the better way to say it maybe is you're building community and the platform is the tool to do it. And like what what I see you doing too, and tell me if I'm wrong, you treat everyone who interacts with you as a human. So if someone comments, you're going to respond to the comment, maybe even start dialogue as as if you're in a giant room with all these people having conversations, even though it's happening in the comments or maybe DMs. Um, But you're still treating every single person as if they are not a bot, but they're actually a human that yeah. wants to be heard. Yeah. Cause everybody is a human who wants to be heard. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the first to come up with that, but think about, think about how many times, I mean, you're on somebody, maybe you admire them, maybe whatever, right? Like, like you're on their page. They did something, some piece of content that you had some sort of visceral reaction to. And so you decide to comment and they give you a fire emoji. You're like, well, fuck that guy. I'm not going to comment again. I don't care. Right? Everybody who asks for comments and then gives you like a thumbs up, it's like, you're just doing this for the algorithm. Like, screw off. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do it, do it. This is, I mean, my, my mantra for the entire year is do less, but better. If you're going to do it, do it. If not, turn off the goddamn comments. Like, you know, don't do it for the algorithm. And um, 
And so you're right. You know, I wanted to, so I, I went through this whole period where I you know, terminated all of my senior staff, the majority of my staff. And um, it was, uh, we did, you know, we did, I did what I thought that I should do as a company. You know, you don't work for your company. Your company works for you. Like there were like four copywriters who were like learning how to write in John Goodman's voice. That's stupid. <laughs> like, I'm just going to write fewer emails, but I'm going to actually write them really well and for myself. And so, so I've started to do that, but, um, but I, I needed to reconnect with our audience, with our community. And so I just put out a call and I just said, Hey, anybody who has a podcast, I'd love to be on it. I don't care if it's brand new. I don't care if you have zero listeners, I'd love to be a guest on your podcast. And, um, in no, end of November and December, I was a guest on 73 podcasts. It's <laughs> a lot of podcasts. <laughs> but what it did was two things. Number one, I really reconnected with our community. How do you ever really get to know what people are thinking? Well, you have real conversations with them. Well, where's basically the only place where you could have a real conversation? Like, think about, I mean, us three are having a, I guess, you know, one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one conversation, but eyes locked, engaged for an hour and a half. How many people in your life, including your spouse, do you have a conversation with that is that direct and personal and engaged these days, each month? Is there any? Like, maybe not. And so I was able to have 70 of these conversations with our community where we're engaged, where I'm learning, where I'm repeating the same things over and over again, getting better, viewing the reactions, you know, the, the conscious, the unconscious reactions to what I'm saying. How do you think I create content on Instagram? Well, I repeat the same shit to 50 people on 50 podcasts in 50 different ways. And I look at the visceral reactions and then I turn them into posts. That's how you learn to communicate, right? It's not in a silo. And at the same time, I'm constantly trying to be a talent skill. I'm, I want to create, I want to connect personally to as many people as possible, but I need to be a bit careful because you can't just do anybody. Well, so I look for indicators that of seriousness around somebody's career. You know, I don't, uh, podcasts are, are a really terrible way to build an audience. They're a really great way to go deeper with an existing audience. And so most of these people who are starting podcasts with no audiences, uh, their podcast is never going to turn into anything. But the fact that they've actually built a podcast tells me that they're willing to go the extra mile. Go to, I, I love hiking. So, you know, Alice and I have done like 16 national parks and monuments. We did a 48 day road trip to the United States. And something that always jumped out at me whenever we'd hit a national park, even the most popular ones, is you poke in the parking lot, you walk along the little path and they're packed. And then you go five minutes beyond the path and you have the whole park to yourself. Same thing in business. Doesn't take very much. But somebody who's willing to go five minutes off the beaten path all of a sudden stands out. And so those are the people I wanted to get to know. Those are the people I wanted to invest time and energy into. Because whether that person's podcast is going to be a big deal years from now, I'm not sure. But the odds that that person is going to A, stay in the industry and B, do great things in the industry in the next five to 10 years are heightened. 
And so I said to them straight up, I'm like, I don't, I mean, if your audience gets value from this, great, but I'm not on here to get access to your audience. I want to get to know you better. I, uh, you just reminded me of something you mentioned hiking. We've yeah, known yeah. each other for almost 10 years and it's been that long. Yeah. Crazy. And, and, Holy and crap. I remember, I remember you telling me that you were going to put on these events called Oak Angel because you wanted to meet Mrs. Oak Angel. <laughs> I met her. I remember that. I met, hey, dude, it worked. Bro, play the lo- you played the long game, bro. I, I love it. <laughs> well, well, it was because of Stephanie that I, I lost 70 pounds in 2016. Um, mm-hmm. Dating someone who's in this space um, with this kind of guidance help. But before that, I think it was 2014-ish, you, we call each other and we say, let's, let's meet up and let's, let's chat. And you said, yeah, let's do a walking meeting. And I honestly had a panic attack because <laughs> at the time I, I, walking wasn't really? a thing. Yeah, totally. Oh, it was one of the first times we did that. And I don't think I ever told you this. And I always look back to that. I'm like, oh, that was so much fun. And we've done a million of those since, but um, yeah, I, 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 I thoroughly appreciate and enjoy every time we've gotten together. Um, because this happens and, and you're totally right. It's, a, it's about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about going deeper with fewer people. And um, I'm fortunate in that I have a great community that I've been able to foster over a lot of years. And so there's a lot of potential people I can connect with. And so I needed to figure out a way to, um, I don't know, call it play the odds. Right. Look for look for indicators that that person is is just good shit. <laughs> like kind of has that makeup. And it's not about being a guest on their podcast. It's about what game are they playing? Are they setting themselves apart on it? And how are you setting yourself apart? I was on a, I was on a show. It was a, it was a mentorship, a business coach mentorship, something for gym owners. And they were talking to me. They, they're in Sacramento, California, which I'll tell you why that matters in a minute. And they were talking about how they help their people get clients like, Oh yeah, we do. We help people book lunch and loans and things like that at local businesses. I'm like, no, that's great. But I've been in that game. Lunch and learns are miserable. <laughs> you, you're basically calling up the HR rep of a local business and you're begging to show up at lunch for a whole bunch of people who don't really want to be there in the hopes that you can then, you know, generate some business out of it. And, it, and it, it's not a bad thing. Like, but what if you started a podcast? So instead of doing, if you're, you're a local gym owner in Sacramento, instead of posting content, it's the same shit as everybody else where you're showing exercises in your gym and whatever it is, instead of posting content every single day on Instagram, worrying about your video quality, blah, 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 blah. What if you started a podcast that you called the best of Sacramento? And in that podcast, you interview the business leaders, the trailblazers who are moving the city of Sacramento forward into the 21st century. And now instead of the middle management HR rep of the business, you call the secretary of the CEO. 
and you say, hi, I host a podcast called The Best of Sacramento, and I'd love to interview Mr. and Mrs. CEO to be on my show where we interview and feature and showcase the trailblazers, the leaders pushing our city into the 21st century. Well, you just so happen to be to own a local gym, by the way, in town, but you're appealing to status. Now, most of these people are going to say yes. Now you're having a one-on-one conversation for an hour with these high-power CEOs. Probably a more personal and depth conversation than they've had with anybody, including their spouse, that month. And then you start connecting CEOs of your town together. And you as the gym owner are the center in that town. You don't need to do lunch and learns. You don't need to create content because these people, by the way, are the most connected and the wealthiest in in your city. So I, you know, I asked like, what are you doing? What are you trying to get out of it? Like, are you just trying to get some clients? Are you trying to build your business? If you're trying to become a, um, if you're trying to become a content creator, if you're trying to become an influencer, you're playing a very different game than somebody who's trying to build a service-based business doesn't mean that either of them are necessarily better or worse but if you have most most people in our community have eight to 12 clients and they need 25 to 30 so if you need 10 more clients don't do don't copy influencers like like that's a different game you're going to get really frustrated really fast if you want to become an influencer like don't copy what i do on instagram I don't expect to get any real positive benefit from what I'm doing for the next two years. <laughs> like, Don't copy right. what I'm doing. If you just need 10 clients. <laughs> right. I have a, I have a question uh, for you around acquiring those next 10 clients. Yeah. Um, I think that so many, um, so many of us in the healthcare field, um, I think I'll exclude medical doctors because for the most part, there's like co-pays and insurance and, but anybody who is in business for themselves. So we'll call this chiropractors and naturopathic doctors and, uh, you know, optometrists and osteopaths and personal trainers and physical therapists, et cetera. So healthcare field where they need to largely generate their own business. Correct. Okay. So many, and this has been my observation, so many of these individuals, I mean, we go to school not thinking that we are entrepreneurs, not thinking that we are salespeople. We go for the love of the subject. We go for the love of changing people's lives for the better. Maybe in some case, like in my case, for example, chiropractic was an integral part of, of uh, I saw how it could powerfully change the trajectory of someone's life. And so you get into it for the love of science, for doing you know good for humanity, et cetera. We suck at sales. Um, why are we so... Now I have so I have feelings about this, but I I, I don't want to uh, taint your um, your response in any way. Why do you think we are so scared of offering our services? Why are we so scared of asking for a sale? I want to know your thoughts. Can you go first? <laughs> I mean, I obviously have thoughts too, but I'm kind of a robot when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, I've I have more of a textbook, you know, knowledge of empathy. Uh, well, I can tell you, I think that. Um, for, and I can speak from personal experience. I view selling as an obligation. So if you know that you have 
the technical uh, prowess, the diagnostic ability, uh, the ability to change someone's life. And you're not asking what that's worth for them or, you know, in the context of, you know, PT, like in personal training, you, if you can help a CEO become stronger, their, their brain fog goes away, they can make better decisions, they can drop weight. And all of a sudden now they have the energy to push their business. Let's say they have more endurance to be able to deal with some of the, uh, we'll call it the war on, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the brunts that are coming at you, uh, in terms of growing a business. I think that the value exchange there makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. And I think that I would love for more of my, and this is maybe a specific to, I don't know if you can kind of, t- my observation with women is we are scared to ask for the sale. Like we know we can help. We know we have the goods, but we don't offer it up um, because of maybe cultural conditioning I don't know what. So that that's my my thinking around sales is that it's absolutely our obligation, especially if you are technically sound, diagnostically sound, you know that you can make a change for this person. Why the hell wouldn't you? Right. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I won't comment on the difference between women and men. But Okay. I, I will after you do. After no, you, after I think you. I I mean from, from what I've noticed, but I'm obviously a, a man, so it's different. Um, you know, my wife's naturopathic doctor. She's she's right. retired now, inactive. But uh, to talk about a profession where you can really help people, where yeah, everything is against you in terms of building a business. I mean, everything. Their college makes it so unbelievably difficult to generate this. Not even in terms of not educating you, but also stopping you from promoting yourself certain ways. Correct. Uh, it, it makes it really difficult. I view selling in a similar sense, um, but I view it as your first coaching opportunity. And to me, it's, it's consultative. You're legitimately just trying to understand that other person. I go into any sales consult. Well, now I'm not doing any sales myself, but we've got a whole bunch of people who sell our programs for us. And I mean, I don't, I don't employ closers. Our salespeople are alumni of our program. All right. They're just, they're talking to you about their experience. They're learning about you. They're figuring out whether it can really help you. And they're figuring out also that when we start, how do we begin to help you? I don't think sales is about words. I don't think, I think it's about, it's about feelings. And so when you go into it and you start to think, okay, well, this is consultative. I am legitimately, genuinely interested in this person, in what they're suffering from. Then it becomes very different because then you start to view it as a coaching opportunity. And it's the first coaching opportunity. It's the beginning of the relationship. It's very, very difficult to take somebody who's been hard sold and then start them on a, call it a soft service or an empathetic service. It's genuinely very, very difficult. Think about when you buy something, that's the beginning of your experience doing business with that company, with that individual. It really, really matters. And so if you view it like that, um, 
it becomes a much cleaner experience, perhaps more comfortable experience. At the same time, I think that people who are in particularly service-based businesses, I mean, if you like building a business is not about doing everything yourself. I mean, if you're a practitioner, should you be the one on the phone doing the sales? Probably not. And so it's a matter of figuring out where you may need some help or partnership or whatever. I mean, I know a lot of trainers who are very, very good, particularly because we work with online trainers. It's like a lot of people who work in a gym take for granted just how easy things are when they work in, in a gym. You know, you're showcasing yourself on the gym floor every single day. You have people walking into the gym every single day. All of a sudden now you work online. Nobody sees what you do. Nobody sees you with customers. Nobody's knocking on your door, looking at your sign down the street, which means that now you have effectively a second job, which means that you have to market from the bottom up. Well, maybe that shouldn't be your job. It's too much for one person a lot of the time. And so can you match yourself with somebody? You know, a lot of partnerships are people who find other people who are the same as them because they like them. Don't find somebody else who's a good practitioner. Find somebody else who's a great operator. Right. Don't hire yourself. And, um, and if you are really great at what you do, it shouldn't be that hard. Because there's a lot of people who are smart at business who just need a face. We see this with a lot of, with a lot of influencer types. I mean, their only job is, is to be the face of the business, is to be the personality of the business. They have zero to do with operating to the point where oftentimes somebody with an existing business will be like, you know, we're doing this for these three other people. We'll do it for you too. We'll just put a different brand on it. And they all get put into the same thing. So I don't know. I guess there's two. There's two kind of different approaches. Um, one is perhaps when you're a little bit smaller and the other one is when you're a little bit more experienced. Amazing. I think um, for women, my observation has been, um, and maybe it might be social, it might be like socially, culturally, you know, depends on how they've grown up. But I think, um, and I'm painting broad strokes here. Um, but I would say that it's been an observation of mine that we've been taught to be pretty and to smile and to not ask for what we want. Um, so if somebody's doing something uh, that we don't like, um, and that can apply to a number of different facets in life, we are often, the, the narrative is often don't say anything, just smile and don't cause any trouble. And I think how that translates when you have a naturopathic doctor, a chiropractic doctor, physical therapist, et cetera, um, is you see someone who you know that you can help, but you have this potentially subconscious or unconscious bias that um, um, where you need to be happy and, you know, nurturing and, you know, society also, like I've talked to Molly about this, uh, Molly Galbraith, who I know is a good friend of yours, that we are sort of, yeah. she's um, really good at laser tag, by the way, we went last weekend. Oh, really? She kicked up butts. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. She annihilated us. Now my team still won, but she was the top scorer. In about she was the Ronaldo of, of the other Oh my team. God. She had like 4,800 points. I had like 2,800. It's like, Jesus. Yeah. 
yeah. just sitting back sniping everybody. Uh, yeah, well, we, we were talking about this when she was on our on our show. She wasn't telling me what a laser tag ninja she was, but she was I don't saying. Think she, I don't think she even knew. Oh, my goodness. Well, don't, now when I text go, her, I'm going to tell, I'm going to be like, did I know that you're a laser tag? Like when you come into Toronto. Don't play laser tag with her. <laughs> or be on her team. <laughs> be on her team. Definitely yeah. be on her team. That was my mistake. Yeah. Well, her, like her whole thing is that we are sort of conditioned in this way to not speak up. And so I think that that translates when you have a practitioner, because normally, and you know, there's, I I agree with you, there's sort of two phases, right? So in Mm -hmm. my clinic, when I was still in my brick and mortar practice, uh, which I remember you did an event there once, uh, many years ago, I was the, you know, the primary contact. So, you know, you had an initial consultation with a new patient and then you delivered the report of findings. So you do your studies, you do the x-ray, you do the workup, you do the, you know, the plan of care. So I'm delivering the plan of care to them, which of course is going, you know, and then the question is, okay, you know, have I explained everything? Where do we go from here? And the next question inevitably is always, how much is this going to cost? So I'm, you know, in, in the beginning uh, of my, uh, uh, when my clinic was smaller, I was delivering all of that. Right. Um, And I think that one of the things I want to really help um, my female practitioners do is to sell without feeling gross. Like that's mm. the big, that's what all of them say to me. I don't like selling. I don't like asking for money. I yep. feel like a slimy salesperson. I feel like I'm pulling the wool and there's so many different verticals. Like there's so many different layers to that. There's like imposter syndrome. Can I really help this person? You know, money is the root of all evil. There's all these different um, levels of why they may be having difficulty asking right. um, for the sale. But I think that um, and I don't have a lot of experience with male practitioners. So, uh, you know, this is my bias in terms of my, my experience in coaching them, but this is the, like, we get the imposter syndrome. We get all of these different, like, aren't rich people all bad, you know, <laughs> if, I, so if I ask for money and I make a lot of money, doesn't that make me like that? One of those others that my parents right. used to talk about, like, oh, those, the people down the street, those people do it this way. We are like the rich aunt, you know, those people do it like that, like this othering that happens. I wonder how much that'll change because now so many people's work is so behind the scenes. You know, it used to be like, you kind of knew whether somebody was rich or not by their title. Right. Well, now you have no idea. I mean, we've got people who are in our programs. It's like, buddy's making $800,000 a year. Like basically his only expense is three part-time staff and payment processing. <laughs> you know, he's like, it's like profiting like $700,000 a year. Right. And uh, I mean, he's a, he's a remote personal trainer. Right. <laughs> right. Like, like you would never even, I mean. And where is just like athletic wear and like, you know. Just, of, yeah, he was whatever. a math teacher. He's a retired math teacher. You know, his wife is a tattooist. Right. And so I think you're starting to see a lot more of that type of thing where, it, perhaps it it's so much more behind the scenes that the whole millionaire next door thing where you just, you just never know. I, I think something you brought up that I want to circle back to is when somebody says, how much does it cost? And um, this is somewhat more tactful, tactful, I guess, than some of the rest of the conversation, which has been more sort of philosophical, theoretical, but the, the cost the price is often, it's, it's much more common that somebody is not actually concerned about the cost than it is that somebody just doesn't know what else to ask, but they're not quite ready to buy it. And so knee jerk, 
you feel like you're supposed to say something and you don't know what you say. So the first thing that comes to mind is what's the cost? It's why everybody always talks about the weather. It's like when you don't know what to say, when you're awkward in a social situation, you talk about the first thing that comes to mind, which is the thing that all of us are experiencing, which is the weather. And so what's important is to not get kind of, I guess, put off by that. Think, oh my God, they're, they're worried about it because they're not necessarily. It's just kind of what they're asking because they don't know what else to ask. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a couple, I mean, depending on how you feel about where the conversation's going, often all that it takes is, hey, yeah, 100%, you know, we're going to discuss that. I do have a few different options um, depending on what you need. And, and to be completely honest, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you uh, to be able to, you know, figure out which option is best for you at this time. Is it, is it cool that I ask you a few more questions? Um, and then, and then continue on and just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And like I said, it's all that you need to know in any kind of sales consultation is why they're really there. The fact that that person has taken the time to get on the phone or come into a clinic or whatever it is, that in and of itself tells you that they're really interested in what you do. Right. Um, and, and they know that there's a cost associated with it, particularly if you're, if you're a medical practitioner of any kind, like they know it's not going to be like 20 bucks. Uh, if you're a personal trainer, it's a little bit different. They might think that it might be 20 or 30 bucks, but, uh, but there's, there's other ways to open. So anyway, so just, I, I wanted to hit on that with cost because I, I have found that a lot of folks often get really perhaps knocked off guard or off balance when somebody early on in the sales consultation says, how much does it cost? And I just, I, I just felt it was important to circle back there and just say, Hey, it's, it's, it's often not because they're actually really concerned about the price. It's more, they just don't know what else to ask. And so that's where you need to be more of a sleuth and to go deeper. Oh, why do you think that? Oh, can you tell me a time when you felt that way? Oh, really? Was anybody else there? Oh, that's really interesting. So anything else you can, you can tell me about that? And just like, how many layers can you go deep into when they felt good or good about themselves or healthier or past experiences that they liked or didn't like or whatever? It's, it's more about just being a sleuth and just continually asking why so many different ways. Well, I think this comes back to what you were saying before, which is just be curious, right? When you're mm -hmm. doing these one-to-one -one mm -hmm. outreaches on Instagram and creating connection there. I think that the, you know, in sales, it's sort of, it, there's a similar vein or there's a similar through line, if you will. It's like, just be curious. Where does this person yeah. come from? What are they, what are they trying to achieve? Why haven't they already achieved it yet? How can you be the vehicle or the vector that's going to help them get there? Hmm. I've, uh, I've just looked, I just glanced up at the time and 90 minutes has just passed just like that. Um, and, um, I wanted to, um, just re be respectful of your time and, um, maybe if people want to learn more about you and what you do, maybe you can let people know where they can find you and, um, and tell us a little bit about, we were talking a little bit about your work, but plug it again. So people can, so people can find you. Yeah. The only, the only place that really matters right now is Instagram. So it's at it's coach Goodman on Instagram. And uh, the fact that my Instagram handle is such an awful handle tells a story in and of itself. I'm really slow moving on any trend. I don't chase spikes. And uh, 
And the result of that is I got to Instagram really, really late. All the good handles were gone. And so I have a really shitty handle. And, uh, and I think that that's, that says a lot. And I like what that says about, about my handle. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to jump on clubhouse or TikTok or whatever it is, because I, I know what I want to be doing, how I want to be spending my time. I know that I don't need to catch every spike. I don't need to catch every algorithm update. As long as I keep doing the right work day in and day out, my spirit animal is a turtle, right? Eventually I'm always going to catch the hair in passing. And uh, so, yeah, it's coach Goodman. It's a shitty Instagram handle. That's where you can find me. I love it. I think Ramit Sethi said something like that. He's like, I'd rather know, and I'm paraphrasing him, um, but he said, you know, I'd rather not do a get rich quick, but get rich eventually, like, but guarantee the eventually bit. I think that's sort of similar to what you're talking about here. It's like, I have a shitty handle, but I'm putting in the work and we're going to have another conversation in two years. And you're going to see how like my metrics and how those have grown through some of these strategies that we've talked about today. And I'm, you know, things might've gone well, some things wouldn't have. And I'll, and I'll course correct. But uh, I, I mean, if you look at like the growth of everything I've done, I mean, it's just been like that. It, it was actually crazy. Um, there, there's, I mean, I might, I probably won't, but I'm in discovery with a few companies about selling parts of what we do. And so it was interesting because I was going through a whole bunch of stats to prepare the discovery materials and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was fascinating to me when I looked at it. Like I look at our website, I look at lead generation because some of the stuff is some of the stuff that we're going to sell. And it's like, God, man, there's no spikes. There's literally no spikes. Just the consistency. It's like, we'll generate 150 to 200 leads a day, every single day. Right. It's just, it's, it's, and do that for 10 years. You're going to be in a pretty good place. I love it. And Gio, thank you for joining me. I know you wanted to jump on and hang out because we haven't seen John in a long time. So I appreciate yeah, your, your Any time. Any minute here. I get with John is a good <laughs> I know, I know. I've been I've been shitty in 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 hanging out with you guys. It's been it's been nuts, man. I'll give you a, a more personal update uh when when I get back to Toronto. But yeah, there's been there's been some stuff. Uh but but things are good now. You know, Allison is we have a second child coming along, but I think you guys know a bit of the story. You, Gio, you might know a bit of the story if you've been following, but yeah, there was, there was lots of miscarriages. There was a cancer diagnosis. There was a lot of stuff going on that. That's why I, I, I put out a few messages and I was just, it was kind of cryptic, but I was like, guys, you just, you just never know what's going on behind the scenes with somebody. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I look at about other people and, and admire what they have. And I know that a lot of people might look up at me and admire what I have or how I've lived my life and stuff. And it's just like, you just never know the stuff that people don't talk about, the stuff that people are, are kind of working through at any one point in time. So just be kind, just, just, I just think default Jim, to that. Jim Quick said something like that. If we all put our, I remember him saying this might've been at an Archangel event or maybe it was in private conversation. I can't remember, but he said something like, if we all were to put our problems, like we wrote them down on cards and kind yeah. of put them on a, in a pile in the middle of the room and, <laughs> and you got to choose, you would very quickly be like, where's my problems? I want my problems. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. want this stuff. Right. Yeah. You just, you just, I mean, if you admire somebody, you got to take everything that goes with them. I've met a lot of very big name fitness people. I would not trade my life for theirs. Right. right? I'm at a, I'm at a wedding sitting beside one of the top bodybuilders in Canadian history. Great guy, wicked guy. 
he dieted for a month to be able to eat the food at the wedding. And he allowed himself one dessert. The <sighs> angst, the angst this guy had choosing that one dessert. And then you know what he did at 2 a.m. when the wedding was over? He worked out. Bet your ass he went to 24 hour gym. No. Yeah. You don't see that shit. Right? You see this guy on stage and you're like, holy crap. That's and yeah. it is. It's an admiral. He's been doing it for decades, right? Like this is his yeah. life. He's happy with it. All the power to him. You can't admire a body like that and not and, and, and want it and not yeah. be willing to take everything that goes along with it. John, you are such a wise human. I love your brain. I love the way you think. Thank you for coming on my show. Thank, uh, you. thank you for coming on the podcast and can't wait to, uh, to see you in person soon. Can I have you on my show when I uh, start it up? Done deal. Cool. Yeah. Do we have to invite you? I'll leave that decision up to you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I love you guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 